Welcome to The Outcast, the podcast for anyone who has ever felt like an outsider or an outcast. Something that has been heavy on my mind lately, especially after hearing the recent news of the deaths of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, is our mental health care system. Once again, mental health care has been shoved into the spotlight, when really, why does it ever leave the spotlight? So we're always hearing more about physical health care. How can we make it better? How can we make it more accessible? Our mental well-being should be just as important. After all, it's all part of the same person, the physical and the mental or the emotional. Mental health issues do not discriminate. They touch all groups, all ages, genders, sexuality, all across the board. And yet so many people still suffer in silence or never get the help that they should. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's thinking there's something wrong with me so I shouldn't talk about it. The voices are there, but it seems we all need to be louder. The call for change is there, but then the discussion quickly turns to shame and guilt. And maybe we shouldn't be talking about this, but we should and we must. Approximately 42 and a half million Americans, about one in five adults, experience a diagnosable mental disorder in one year, in a given year. That's according to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. The National Institute of Mental Health reports one half of all lifetime cases of mental illness begin by age 14. And mental health disorders are the leading cause of disability in the U.S. Isn't it time we had personal care instead of physical health care and mental health care? The Outcast podcast is supported by RichmondToDCHelpWanted.com. Most folks who work here love living here. And that makes a difference. At RichmondToDCHelpWanted.com, they're proud to work the hometown advantage around the clock, connecting local employers to local job seekers. RichmondToDCHelpWanted.com makes it easy to post a job, and it's local, so you won't get spammed by faraway job seekers. And if you're looking for a good local job, search jobs and apply online right now. Get the advantage of finding a job close to home at RichmondToDCHelpWanted.com. Local jobs that work. And I want to welcome my guest to the podcast this week, a leader of integrative mental health here in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and a very fabulous and dear friend of mine, psychotherapist Allison Sullivan. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast for the first time, Allison. I'm really excited to be here with you. This is uh, going to be a great, great show. And I know you and I have a great passion about uh, mental health. And I love the fact that you are my go-to in the uh, mental health department when it comes for when it comes to talking about any of these things it's it's an interesting time we're in i feel like we are on the brink in integrative mental health and mental health in general about uh, people that are getting into mental health people that are interested in learning more about it as a career and people that need it and people that uh are are looking for what are we going to do now that we've seen so many Interesting things happen. So many sad things happen uh, lately with uh, celebrities. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, I'm thinking about Kate Spade and the uh, just very, very sad news about their suicides. Are we changing? Is mental health in, coming into a new place where the discussion is becoming, what do we need to do here? I think so. I think, um, was it the philosopher Rousseau? I think that was his name, who said, you never step in the same river twice. Mm. And I think that's an important way to, to think about this is, you know, life is changing at breakneck speed sometimes, and our culture is changing, and and mental health as a profession and an industry 
is continually changing as a reflection and in the flow of those other changes. I think it's really important that we decide where we want to be in that in that process of change. Are we going to be on the sidelines, not participating? Are we going to be resisting the change and trying to, you know, rigidly stick to what we've done in the past? Or are we going to take a more open position about, you know, what is working, what isn't working on all sides, and what do we need to do to continue to evolve and improve our understanding about mental health care and and what people need in regards to mental health care. And, you know, as a practitioner and as a person, I think of mental health care as synonymous with basic health care, mm. which is not ha- reflective of how society thinks about mental health care. Not right at now. all. Not at all. Is it? Are we going in that direction? Is that's my in my dream world? We're going in that direction. Yes. And, you know, that's where my energies um, go towards is to to do my part to participate in the change that that begins to view mental health care in the same way that we view basic health care, you know, preventative stuff of your primary care physician. You know, mental health care is in alignment with with those same principles. For example, um, something that that I need to change my language on, I opened this this show with. For those of us who might need mental health care, don't we all need mental health care? We all need mental health care, Dee. And, you know, I don't think this, this podcast needs to be a history lesson on our relationship, you know, with mental health care. But I think that it's important to to realize that currently we still separate uh, mental health care and physical health care yes. into two distinct camps. And not only are they in two distinct camps, but our relationship to the camps is different. So the physical health camp, you know, we're all about preventative stuff. We're all about, you know, go get your checkups. Yeah. Um, most insurance companies, even if you have a large deductible, will um, include, you know, between one and three wellness visits per calendar year that aren't subject to your deductible. Mm-hmm. And I could go on and on and on in ways that our policy and the application of that policy reflect a really um, preventative approach to physical health care. And that's not the same for mental health care. Not at all. Like, it's so different when you think about it. And and I want to dive into that just a little bit more. But let's, let's, um, let's break these two categories down, too. You are an integrative mental health care expert, in my opinion. And what's the difference between integrative mental health and mental health without the integrative is this what's the difference are i mean are we talking you know different kinds of treatment different are medicine involved in one what are we what are we talking about well i think different people would define this in different ways and um, let me just clarify that as a practitioner i think probably the best way i can continue to deliver the highest quality service to my clients and to the community is to define myself as someone who's continually learning. Mm. 
because if I'm not continually learning, then there is no way that I can I can continue to deliver you know the best quality I'm capable of 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 mental health care. So I just want to clarify that how I define it, integrative mental health care is is the idea that it's not really even that our mind and our body are connected. It's more that our mind and our body are part of the same system. Yes. And the same person. Yes, it's the same system. All of it is the system of that person. Yes. And the science is starting to reflect that that is the case. You know, we, we've we got lots of data about our gut being our second brain. Um you know, there's data about how we have neurotransmitters in our gut. In- sometimes I think it's my first brain, Allison, to be honest with you. I, sometimes I feel like it runs me, my gut, what I put in, it runs me more than my thinking. Some, you know what I mean? Like, it's- Well, it, it does. I mean, the two are inextricably bound. They're really connected. And so integrative mental health care understands that and looks at a person holistically, just doesn't look at a person's thoughts or a person's feelings, but looks at um, lifestyle, looks at um, nutrition, looks at um, social factors such as poverty, trauma, abuse, um, looks at spiritual aspects of a person, as well as the more typically uh, understood factors of mental health that, that deal with a person's psychology. An integrative mental health professional looks at it all. That's such a great way to put it. I mean, because it really puts into perspective the physical, the emotional, uh, the spiritual, what what's happening with you that nutritionally. I mean, it, it really does put it all into place. So when someone will come and see you at, at, at your at your place. It, it's very, it's a whole. It's, a, it's the whole piece that you're yes. addressing, not just when was the last time you felt like you had an anxiety attack? Yes. I think some people think that when they're going to, uh, when they're going to get treatment for, for the first time, when they're thinking, I need, I need a mental health expert in my life. And I think they think that we're we're just going to talk about this one thing and deal with this one thing. Yeah, it's really about the whole thing. Yes. And, uh, you know, a lot of this, this mental health stuff that we're talking about is about education is Mm -hmm. about, you know, building awareness. And, you know, my clients are a little unnerved at first when I tell them my intake forms are 30 pages. Yeah. Which can be super overwhelming. Now, let me just clarify, some of them are just signature pages. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But in social work school, we learned um, how to deal with people from a biopsychosocial spiritual lens. Wow. Which is what I just described. And so, you know, I really took that to heart and began developing an integrative approach because I can't intervene in a way that's going to suit the person if I don't have information about everything that's going on, nor can I refer them to additional supports and resources to help them if I don't have that information. I've, and I would feel, I feel better thinking about walking into a new place, especially, and and seeking answers for what's going on inside of me by filling out a 30 page something let me tell you by giving you all of the information i i don't i don't just like 
you know, the physical wellness, I don't want to walk into a doctor and, and not tell them that I've had a history of dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot, mm-hmm. or that I've had a problem with high blood pressure or that I've had a problem with my blood sugar before. I don't want to leave information out in that department. Yeah, I think that speaks to the stigma associated with mental health care, though, because you know, when people go to the doctor because they're having leg cramps um, or they're having, you know, headaches or something like that, they want to make sure that the doctor has all the information because they see the physical body as interconnected. When people come to a mental health professional, there's because of the stigma in part, there's more shame attached to it and and people will minimize things or um, avoid things, talking about things because they think it's a statement about their identity, mm, yeah. their worth, or you know whether they've done enough to help themselves, you know, in alignment with that that kind of cultural, notion of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps when people come in to see me a lot of times people will spend the first you know section of the of the consult talking about well I've tried everything this is what I've done and this is what I've done and this is what I've done almost as if it has the feel of justifying you know I'm not a bad person for coming here and that mm. that breaks my heart and I think yeah. that's one of the biggest issues relevant to our time that that keeps us in a conflicted relationship with mental health care. Why are we I mean I I know the answer to this question but but I also want to know your answer to this question. Why are we so afraid to say yes in a group of people at work, someone who's asking you how you are, to a friend, whoever to say yes, I have dealt with depression. Yes, I have struggled really hard i've spiraled sometimes in my life yes i have and this is how i've dealt with it or this is how i got through that time period i know it's going to come again probably life changes brings that brings about that kind of stuff that happens in our lives in all of our lives why are we so afraid to say that it I understand you're saying it, it's a ref- we think it's a reflection of our identity when it just truly isn't. We're all dealing with something. It's all it's a every day is something different. I don't know of a single person myself included who lives in perfect balance and harmony day in and day out with no issues. It's just not the human experience. Yet you know, if someone has to be hospitalized because of a broken leg or because of a stomach issue that needs to be explored um, that's created so much impairment that they need you know that kind of monitoring in a hospital setting no one walks around saying that person's body is crazy (laughs) right you know that body is just messed up yes you know, in other pejorative terms to describe it, people start getting concerned. Oh, my gosh, have you heard? So-and-so's in the hospital. They're having a stomach issue. I wonder if we should go by and see them. Well, I'm sure you're already thinking where I'm going to go next. That's not what happens when people talk about depressive symptoms. Mm-hmm. When people talk about depressive symptoms, they're worried that as soon as they walk away, people are going to be 
having a conversation centered around, ooh, she is crazy. I knew it. I knew it. And now she has cracked. Mm -hmm. That kind of pejorative conversation really feeds the shame. So people don't want to risk that. And you and you actually do the opposite of what you do when your friend is in the hospital. You isolate the person. You run. Ex- yes. You run the yes. other way. You're like, yes. Mm, I don't want any of that crazy on me. Yes. Don't get close Thank to me because that, cro- that crazy is going to rub off on me. Instead of yes. doing what you would yes. have done to your friend that's in the hospital yes. going by and visiting. Can I bring you anything? Can I do anything for you? You don't. Uh, you almost go the opposite way. It's it's so reflective of the stigma that really has been internalized. And the more that we open up about that and have conversations about that, then the more we're going to start sh- to shift that. But if we're not even talking about it, we don't really have much traction in shifting that because the momentum, as we know in so many other aspects of of our life is going to is going to be the default. Mm-hmm. So we have to actively work against the momentum to shift it and to change the default to a, a different a different position, a different a whole different position. Uh, leader of Integrative Mental Health here in Fredericksburg, Virginia and my dear friend Allison Sullivan who is a psychotherapist here in Fredericksburg is my guest. I want to talk about 800 more things with you, Allison, regarding all of this. And I know we don't have time for all of that, but you mentioned making this a a louder, broader, wider, more open discussion. I I feel like there's a good chance then as the next political round comes comes about in upcoming elections that we're going to hear some about this mental health um, change. And I think people want to know that their lawmakers are supporting change and how can we make mental health uh, more available to a a bigger public? How can we make sure that it is available to everyone? I think it's going to be a discussion. Do you think that and how do you think it's going to play out? I think it's vital that it become a part of the discussion. And I think the risk of having that discussion is similar to the risk of discussions around so many other complicated topics that we hold really dear to our hearts. When something really matters to us, I think it's human nature to really want a very clear, concise, concrete solution, a very simple solution. Yes, no, black, white. This is the one thing we can do Mm -hmm. that's going to fix it all. The unfortunate reality is that these conversations, these issues are so complicated that that's not likely how this is going to get solved. Mm-hmm. We have to have a we have to be able to tolerate a lot of distress in discussing this and learn how to respect diversity of thought in these discussions to really make progress towards a comprehensive plan to solve this. It's not going to be a simple one-size-fits-all, and I think that makes people feel really out of control sometimes and hesitant to engage in these conversations and these debates if we can't come up with a simple solution. Because in talking about healthcare, we're going to have to talk about racism mm-hmm. we're going to have to talk about poverty yes we're going to have to talk about big corporations we're going to have to talk about lobbying we're going to have to talk about insurance we're going to have to talk about all of that 
And we're going to have to be able to have honest discussions about how all of those things are factors in mental health. And, and that's a lot to tolerate for people. It's a whole lot. You're absolutely right. And hopefully we can tolerate it piece by piece, at least to, uh, <clears throat> you know, come up with a better plan as we progress as a people. Yes. And I think it's also important to understand that incremental change is still positive change. Yes. And it doesn't negate that more change is needed. But the reality is, I think in big systems and, you know, our communities, our country is a big system. Change doesn't happen very quickly, especially right. with a, a universal system like mm-hmm. this. It, it happens over time and incrementally, and that incremental change is important. You were talking about having these honest discussions and how important that is. I got an email uh, the other day from a listener regarding it. This was right after the very shocking news about Anthony Bourdain um, and his suicide. And it really resonated with me what she said in the email. And I wanted to just read a little section of it to you. She said, I feel like we should be talking to our friends and family more about their mental health. But I'm not going to lie. I'm scared to death to ask my brothers and my mom, have you ever thought about suicide? I'm not going to lie. I'm scared to have these conversations. How do we have these conversations and get past the fear of the answers? That's such a relevant email. Wow. Yeah. I think, let me just say, I think that speaks to the value, the place of value that you hold in our community in so many ways in these important conversations because I think that took a tremendous amount of trust on to her even reach part out and say that absolutely to, to send yeah. that email yeah. to you so I felt that too so way to go thanks um yeah it's difficult it's really difficult and I think we need to make small steps and honor the difficulty of that and you know, I'm a huge proponent of the power of vulnerability, and I think that really applies here. I think to start this by sitting down and saying, you know, I'm scared to have this conversation because I don't know where it's going to lead, and I don't really have any good answers here. But I want to open up this dialogue so people become less and less afraid of talking about this. I think that one of the big barriers for people with that is they're afraid they're going to lose some rights, some freedom. Mm. When our mental health is the topic of conversation, there is that looming threat of, if I'm really honest, somebody's going to call somebody, and then they're going to come and get me and haul me off. Right. I mean, maybe not that stark of a thought, but maybe actually that stark of a thought, because that is the big fear, you know, even in dealing with government agencies related to social services, mm-hmm. you know, child protective services yes. has such um, a misunderstood reputation. People, I'm sure you've heard it. I've heard it countless times. People are concerned that child protective services, they'll say things like they're kid snatchers, yes, which is in no way reflective of the very important work that child protective services does to provide resources for families, to support families, to reunite families, to do so many important tasks for families. But that's not what a lot of the discussions about 
that are. And so I think that that's looming in the back of people's minds if they're really honest about saying, you know what, I've thought about suicide before. I think in part, people are afraid that their friend is going to call the police yeah. and they're going to get hauled off to a locked ward. Yeah. Or they're going to come take their kids. Or what yes. does that mean about my job? If it gets yes. out at my job, yes. do, will my boss think that I'm still qualified for my position? And what what does that mean? What's the ripple effect of me saying I've had suicidal thoughts? That's a big that's a big concern and a real fear. Absolutely. And I think that that is related to and In fact, I had a conversation um with my oldest child's partner about this this past weekend and you know she brought up a really relevant point about that she said you know when these things happen people will say you know they'll list a hotline number and they'll say reach out which is important information to give to people i i am not at all suggesting that it's not however i think we can have more discussion about what happens when you call Mm. You know, kind of demystifying that part of the process. I'm so glad you're saying this. If you call, this is what's going to happen. And this is how people are going to, you know, respond. And these are some options you may have. I think that's, if we want to go back to the incremental approach, we can start by doing that, kind of pulling back the curtain of what's going to happen when I call this hotline number. You know, having educational conversations about this is our hotline staff this is what they're trained to do mm-hmm. this is what is going to happen when you do call that's going to that's going to start to take away some of the threat and fear associated with having these conversations. I'm so glad you said that because I was one of the people who put out the phone number which is great to do. I and and I and I because I what else can I do? You know, it was, I felt like, what What can I do? I was in this moment where I was like, oh, I want to do something. My insides are saying, do something, stand up and do something, do something, say something, do something, you know. And that's the only thing I could gravitate to. And don't you think you were not on a little angel on my shoulder in that moment? Think, And I'm thinking, I should ask her, should I do more? Is there something, what else should I do? You know, and wow, that made so much sense to me. What happens after you make the call, that makes so much sense to me because I have had numerous discussions with friends who have never been to see a therapist, who have never been to get their mental health mm-hmm. help. Yeah. You know, they've never been there. And so they're afraid of, of what course. that looks like of for course. the first time. Of course. And yeah. because I have been many times regular checkup in my mental health department, let me tell you, and that's something I am very interested in doing on a regular basis. I had a really good, I've had several discussions with people about, oh, this is what happens. This is how it looks and feels. And this is what they'll probably talk to you about. And these are the kinds of questions that they'll probably ask you. That makes so much sense to me to sort of pull back that curtain for people and and help them maybe make it not so scary. Yeah. Yeah. And when when my child's partner said that, I had, you know these dominoes kind of fell over and I was like, why haven't I thought of that? And then as I was listening to you, you know, I'm in this field as I'm just listening to you, it, I realized I don't have a video snippet on my website that demystifies what people are going to, what they can expect when they come in for a first consult. Now, I mean, generally I will talk to people on the phone sure, and give them an, an overview but I think I can do more in participating 
in this by putting a little video segment on my website so people who haven't even gotten to the place where they can make the make call, the call yeah. can still get information about mm. what it looks like, sounds like, and may feel like to interact with a mental health professional. That's fantastic and, and a fantastic idea. And I absolutely think that you should do it. Because imagine the 20, 30 people that came to the website or yep. came to the yep. article or wherever they're going and didn't get that in enough to be able to make the phone call. Yes, and that's how I think we we can particularly harness the power of the internet and social media yeah. to help with this destigmatizing because, you know, government agencies, county agencies, state agencies, private private practices can all do that we can all upload videos to youtube we can connect youtube videos to our websites that talk about who we are that show what our office looks like that that you know demystifies the the orientation process what's going to happen where are you going to go what's going to happen next how does this unfold so that people aren't concerned about seeking help because of a threat I'm very excited to continue my conversation with Allison with part two on the next new episode of The Outcast. You can find Allison in downtown Fredericksburg, and you can find her online, allisonsintegrativehealth.org. Next time, I want to talk about mental health within the LGBTQ community and how important it is that we have growth in that area. I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or your stories. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please email me at d at wbqb.com. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this podcast are their own and not necessarily those of Centennial Broadcasting.